watched a movie the other night that I thought I could have sold you on if I described it in a certain way. Okay. So if I said like, oh, do you know what James Franco directed and starred in this movie with Selena Gomez, you might be maybe interested. Yeah. But it's about um, 1930s strikes in uh, apple orchards. Oh, that's right. And it has like all period appropriate music and stuff. Mm. So then you, I might have lost you with that, but it was very good. Oh, good. Because it's a, a Steinbeck, because I'm reading right. my Steinbeck right now. And it's an adaptation of Indubious Battle, which I never thought would get turned into a movie. But James, James Franco, I, I thought it was quite good. Big Steinbeck guy. Yeah. He is, actually. Oh. (laughs) That's cool. I like Selena Gomez. She's fun. I thought she was very... She's a good actress. Mm -hmm. I don't really know her for much, and um, I haven't seen her do anything serious. But we're not here to talk about Steinbeck or Selena Gomez. (laughs) We are here to talk Freddy Krueger and his revenge. On who? I don't know. The first one was actually about his revenge, and this one, he's just kind of... Just kind of like yeah, actually, fucking shit up. You're right. The, the first, first one was about revenge. revenge. Yeah, this one's not. This at one all. is like I'm ready to fuck more shit up. That's yeah. basically what he's like. Yeah. Well, we will get into it. We should probably say what we're doing. Oh yeah. Uh, welcome everyone to an episode of I Love This. You should too. Usually we get all of our bullshit out of the way <laughs> in the first couple of minutes, and maybe we did. Who knows? There might always be more. It could happen. <laughs> We here at I Love This You Should Too are proud members of the Alberta Podcast Network, which is locally grown and community supported. And I am your host, Indy, who needs subtext when you have regular text, Randawa. <laughs> and with me is my lovely co-host, Samantha School Bus Off a Cliff Randawa. Whoa. <laughs> That's a dramatic one. Yeah. I hope I live up to it. Well, let's drive this podcast like a school bus right, right off a cliff. Right off a cliff. In case you can't tell, we are going to be talking about the 1985 horror film, A Nightmare on Elm Street Part 2, Freddy's Revenge. <laughs> we talked about the first Nightmare on Elm Street, which I, I well, we shouldn't get into it too much, but I was going to say is clearly better, which I do <laughs> I do think. But uh, we are doing all of the Nightmare on Elm Street films in this month. So come and uh, listen to all of them. Yeah, we are three episodes in now. Well, this is the second one. I guess. Part two. I was counting the pre-episode. But then three. Yes. So uh, we are just beginning our journey. Yeah. Yeah, we'll get really into it. But first, before we start breaking down this movie and the franchise as a whole, let's thank our first sponsor, and that is Bloom. If you want to get a handle on Edmonton's growing innovation scene, you can take a listen to Bloom, Taproot's newest podcast. Each week, hosts Karen Unland and Pfizer Ramji will discuss the latest developments in efforts to solve new problems and diversity in the economy. Find out who has invested in what, who is investing in whom, and what is on the horizon. Find Bloom wherever you're listening to us right now, or you can visit them at bloom.taprootedmonton.ca. So let's get into things, Samantha. So first off, you had never seen a single Nightmare on Elm Street movie before. Not many horror movies in general, really. And I had seen them all at some point. I don't remember all of this series nearly as well. You've seen all the horror movies? Uh, Yep, everyone. (laughs) Wow, okay. (laughs) Every Nightmare on Elm Street. But it's been a while for sure, so I was getting a lot of these all mixed Mm -hmm. up. So first, I want to come to you as our newbie into this world what do you think of a nightmare on elm street 2 freddy's revenge this felt like your regular second rush to production sequel when something's like really popular and then you get that kind of shitty sequel because there's been like no time i think that is fair and also accurate because this came out the next year right yes. like the next halloween yeah so yeah, it kind of feels like they're like, shit, somebody needs to write a sequel quickly <laughs> because we're making money on this one. So I, um, it kind of felt like that. It didn't feel fully like fleshed out and thought through, mm-hmm. um, but it was like, it had some fun moments. 
I think that uh, sums up my opinions quite a bit as well. The it, end. It's, it's, <laughs> it's bad. It is a bad yeah. movie, and I'm not going to make the argument that it is good. What I will make the argument for is that it is interesting. I think there are some interesting things going on. I think this is a small window into 1985 and into horror movies in a in a broad sense. Mm-hmm. But I think there are some things we can talk about here that's not just going to be us going through the movie and be like, wow, that didn't make any sense. Because we could absolutely yeah, do that as well. Absolutely. A lot of the movie doesn't make any sense. It's not great. No, it does not. <laughs> I don't think it looks bad, however. I think they used the same kind of tricks that they used in the first movie. I think not as well because there's those a couple of those really big scenes from the first movie mm-hmm. that nothing in this comes to True. comes close to that. But there are some good uh, special effects, like yes. when Freddy is uh, birthed out of that guy. Jesse. Yeah, that's a good effect. That was pretty cool, and it didn't seem as like rickety as when the mom gets pulled through the door on the first window like that clearly was a dummy yeah this is like a lot more finessed and it looks like someone is clearly being birthed out of somebody else so that was kind of neat so this one had about three times the budget which is still lower it had a budget of about three million dollars as opposed to one for number one Mm -hmm. and this grossed over 30 million in the US, but it also did really well in Europe. I don't have the actual numbers on that, but it was very successful financially. Cool. Review wise, not nearly as much, but we'll talk about that. And when we finished watching this, I said to you that, like, oh, this is clearly a metaphor for a self loathing closeted gay man. Like, he's leaving the girl at the end to go be with his best friend who also uh, pulls his pants down and they wrestle around and he yeah. has nightmares or maybe they're real. I think they turn out to be real that his uh, gym teacher hits on him in a gay bar and then he uh, whips his bare ass with a towel until he dies. Yeah. And that seems like pretty on the face now. But at the time, I often say things that are looking too far into something Mm -hmm. and you kind of are like yeah okay maybe no this one was very clearly that so then right after watching it we're like oh what are the special features on here and it was everyone talking about how like yeah this is clearly a very very gay movie Mm -hmm. so that's the fun and interesting part but if you just look at the actual plotting of this movie it's it's not good and it's often nonsensical Mm. And it's hard to explain why the dreams and reality bending in the first one work so well for me, but they don't in here. I think it's the choices in the first film were always made to, yeah, perhaps disorient, but not confuse. They were meant to frighten and keep you uneasy. While here, it seems like they were made to just trick you. Yeah. Just tell you one thing and then go, aha, the opposite is true. Yeah. I felt like the first movie, um, they added subtle things. Like they didn't hit you over the head with the fact that it was a dream sequence. No. Or they didn't leave you guessing until the end. You got little like bits and pieces, again, like the leaves in the hallway Mm -hmm. or like a body bag in the hallway. Like you get these little clues that like maybe this isn't real. Right. Whereas in this movie... It was really hard to tell sometimes. Yeah, because at some points, completely unrealistic things happen, and then it turns out that was all real. Yeah. Because then it has repercussions later on, and it's a lot of him just waking up in his bed, something coming to kill him, and then he goes, oh, it's just a dream. Yeah. And that's, it's it's cheaper. It's not as well written. Mm-hmm. So let's go through it. Perhaps we'll... Spend the first little bit going through the plot, yes. talking about that, and then getting into some backstory. And usually we would lead with that, but I think that's going to be more of the bulk of the movie. Okay. So we'll go through the plot stuff quickly because in this movie, actually, I think that's much less interesting. There also isn't like a super large amount of plot. <laughs> no, no. But there are some some fun set pieces and mm. kind of bizarre things that happen that are worth talking about. And then we can go on to talk about how this movie got made. Mm-hmm. Um, it being made relatively quickly with people who have no love for horror movies or the first movie at right. all. And went against the wishes of the creator of the first one. And how it kind of ruined one man's life and career 
and subsequent documentaries that have been made about that and the place of this movie and Hollywood during the AIDS epidemic of the 1980s. Oh, interesting. I know you weren't expecting this to no, go there. No, but I'm kind but of excited about it that's now. That's where we'll go a little bit, but let's start off with, uh, let's start off light and silly and let's go because it's, I think it gets sad in the end. Mm. I'm warning you now. I'm okay. A little bit sad. Okay. But let's start off with um, just going through this plot because it starts off on a bus going through the desert and then being perched on like a weird... Like pillar, yeah, that looked like it was supposed to be a different planet. This movie starts off with things that are more spectacular in a way than anything from the first, but not mm-hmm. spectacular in a good way. It's just look at this crazy thing. Yeah, there's like no reason for it. Yeah, I don't, I don't know where that was coming from exactly. Oh, and we are introduced to our main character, Jesse. Yes. Who is played by Mark Patton. How did you like him as a lead? Um, I liked him. I thought he gave a very good performance. Yeah, like I thought he was pretty strong and uh, like they didn't, and maybe that's like a direction thing, but like they didn't make him kind of wishy-washy. He was like pretty strong in his convictions the entire time. Yeah, I think he may have, this sounds like the weirdest assault because it's a mixture of both. I think his performance was too good for this movie. Interesting. Because he gave a, for the most part, a very rooted in reality and real fear and terror mm-hmm. in his performance. But I don't think the things going on around him necessitated that <laughs> because I don't think the movie was very successful at being scary. Right. Did you think this movie's scary? No. I was never scared. Of no. It. No. And I think that's kind of your biggest failing right Yeah. Now. Like in the first one, there were some creepy moments. And this one didn't really deliver that. So we pick up with Jesse and he is just moved to Elm Street. He has a friend who we think might be a romantic interest named Lisa, who looks like a like 80% young Meryl Streep mixed with 20% young <laughs> Natasha McElhone. Yeah. I could not get over how much she looked like Meryl Streep. And then we go to them at school and they're playing baseball and Grady, who is one of our secondary characters, attacks Jesse for no reason, pulls his pants down so everyone can see his butt and then jumps on him. And uh, then they get punished together and through that punishment kind of become become friends. friends? Yeah, I'd say they become friends. Or more than friends. (laughs) This one, like this friendship was kind of weird because you... You don't see Grady for a big chunk of the movie. Yeah. And then all of a sudden he's back and mm-hmm. he's talking to him like he is his best friend. And it was a little confusing because I was like, okay, but we haven't seen him in 20 minutes. Well, I think it's because they are in love, but they're trying to fight that love. So right. that's why they're away. They're staying away from each other. And we get our first dream sequence after this where Jesse sees Freddy in the basement of his house because he has moved into the house that mm-hmm. was Nancy's from the previous movie. Yes. And Freddy says something about how much he wants his body. Yeah. And then pulls off his uh, skull, I guess, or just skin. His He doesn't have a skull. No, he just, has he a brain. just like shows off his brain. He's like, you have the body, I have the brain. Yeah. And together we will murder. Yeah. <laughs> oh, and I guess they aren't friends quite yet because then when he wakes up, and also he wakes up screaming all the time and his parents don't care. Yeah, where are these parents? They're there. They hear him and they're like, oh, I guess he's up. Like, my parents could tell when I got out of bed in the middle of the night. <laughs> Never mind, like, if you wake up screaming. They they can tell. They just don't care. It's they weird. are objectively bad parents. They are. The father, especially the father. Like I know there's a trope of kind of parents who don't quite get it. In horror movies, because that's a, that's a part of it, right? Right. But this guy is—he's too much. <laughs> so then, at school the next day, I don't know, like whatever is going on. The teacher is throwing a heart on a table. They're throwing snakes on Jesse because yeah. that's how you bully someone in this. You just take a snake and put it on somebody. I would literally die. I like would not. <laughs> the school would have to pay for some serious counseling if someone just threw a snake on me. Samantha is very afraid of snakes. I would deceased. I would be deceased. That's it. Yeah, you had a good run. Yeah, until that snake went on her shoulder. Yeah, yeah. This school seems like 
it needs adults, even though there are adults around. Well, the adults are the biggest bullies, yeah. I think. Because, oh yeah, so that was the bully. But they'll eventually get um, become friends. And then there's, in my notes, I just have a lot more random fake-outs. So there's a lot of things where you think something's happening. Yeah. And then fake-out, it's just a dream. And this is why I'm like, there isn't that much plot in this movie. No, it's a lot it's of... like nothing happens. You think something's happening, but then it doesn't happen. Yeah. It was just a dream. And then, like, they're alluding to something, but it never actually happens. We never go there. Yeah. And then some things happen that are clearly a dream. Turns out it was real. Mm-hmm. What did you think about the cool unpacking dance montage? That was fun. You like that one? It was like a fun, light moment. It was a little nod to Risky Business, which yeah. had just come out not too long before. Which is fun. Like, I think that horror movies should have these, like, lighter moments where everything isn't life or death. I think just a lot of movies could benefit from dance scenes. I agree. And I'm not saying that sarcastically. I truly believe yeah. that. No, I agree with you. We might talk about that scene a little bit more later as okay. well. Right after the cleanup montage, we get Lisa and Jesse find Nancy's old diary. Mm -hmm. So that links it to the, the previous movie. And I kind of like that part. That because we get to also hear what Nancy was going through in yes. her own words. Which and it's is a nice refresher without... Like, going back to the old, like, finding newspaper stories mm -hmm. or trying to, like, interview neighbors. This was a really quick way to get that information into the plot without yeah. having to spend, like, 15 minutes on a montage. And throughout this, we have Jesse going to sleep and everything being very, very hot. Mm -hmm. So heat is representative of Freddy throughout this movie. Like, he starts things on fire, things melt when he's around. I guess because he was burned alive. That's yeah. how he died. So they're, that's his power. And he's always like, I don't, is that a furnace or is it a fireplace in the basement? Yeah, that kind of But furnace, like that's yeah. kind of where Freddy is like centrally located in the house. Yes. So it's like a hot place to begin with. So it's odd that your power would be the thing that killed you. Mm-hmm. Like, I wouldn't go attack people with, like, a penicillin. Like, no, I'm allergic to that. Why would I want it near me? Yeah. He should be the mo He should be a cold villain, really. Yeah. Or I guess he's just perpetually in that state of being burnt. Maybe that's where he his, like, spirit is trapped. Yeah. Just... I was going to say, why would you celebrate the thing that killed you? But then I remembered that, like, Christians use crosses. Yeah, their symbol. I was like, I don't know if you should. That's the. It's a bad thing. I think he's just stuck it killed there. killed Jesus. Why would you wear it? Yeah, I think he's just stuck there, and he's like Jesus. No, Freddy. Oh, okay, yeah. And he can't. Yeah, because Jesus came down from the cross and goes to the cave, and yeah. then he like leaves in three days. Right? He rises to heaven. I'm I'm not a Christian. Sorry if I'm wrong. All you people. It's been there. many years since I was at uh, Sunday school, so yeah. <laughs> I don't remember. But yes, getting back to Freddy, Freddy, and we should stop comparing Freddy and Jesus. People are gonna get mad at us. True. Yeah, Freddy, I guess, is stuck in that hell, in that limbo. Mm -hmm. I don't know where he is. I think we get into it later, though. Okay. And he goes to the basement. He finds the glove, and Freddy wants Jesse to kill for him. Like yeah. I said. Pretty straightforward. And we're all getting already getting a Freddy who talks a lot more than he did in the previous one. And he's also seen a lot more. Yeah, and he's interacting with people. Yes. As opposed to last time when he was kind of in the shadows. Yeah. I preferred more shadowy Freddy. What do you think? I liked that we got a little bit more of his personality, but I do think he was on screen too much. For something that's supposed to be like scary and dream state. Yeah, I also don't like the makeup as much in this one. Mm -hmm. It was a completely new people doing the makeup. So he looks more pointy Yeah, in this, which I didn't and like, like as much. And like kind of shinier. Hmm. Like he's shinier than he was in the first movie, which kind of bugged me. Now that you're mentioning the makeup team is different. Yeah, I think that's why it bugged me. Um, it's because he was shinier than he was in the first movie. So he looked really different. I'm not sure which one goes through. If the rest of the movies are going to have a more of a part one or a part two look to them. But oh. they're distinctly different. But the part one seems to be like what I have in my mind when I think of Freddy. But I'm not sure if it's just because I like part one more. But I guess we'll see you in the next uh, couple of weeks. Yeah, I'm excited to compare these. That's one of the fun things about doing this. Compare your Freddies. Then back at school, their coach or their uh, gym teacher, Coach Schneider, mm -hmm. always calls them dirt balls. Dirt and balls. Uh, makes them do a lot of running and like planks and stuff. 
back at home, the dad is just being a dick like he always yeah. is. He says things like, the air conditioner works fine. It's just broken. So I was like, well, that's yeah, not Yeah, it just needs a shot of Freon. Is that yeah. what you do with air conditioners? Yeah. You just like reload them? Uh, yeah, I think recharge is usually the word you use. But yeah, you add Freon in and Freon is what uh, is used in the cooling effect. Oh, interesting. Yeah, I just thought it was always, always in there. No, it does uh, It does run out over time. Hmm, I didn't know that. But it's not fine if it's broken. No. So that's a thing. It's an untrue statement. And then when his son says, okay, I promise to do it. And he's like, I don't want you to promise to do it. I want you to do it. But like, what else can you do? He can't yeah, do it right now. He's going to school. Yeah, he's got things to do. He can't just stay home from school. In one of the sillier parts, we get into a killer budgie. Yeah. Budgie birds were a big thing in the 80s. Were they? Oh, yeah. I All think... my friends had them. We had some. Like, it was a thing. Oh, you're probably right because I remember having friends whose older siblings had birds. And I remember being like, I don't understand why you'd want that in your house. Yeah. They were always so annoying. loud. Yeah. Nobody likes them, they're but everyone smelly. had them. Yeah. Like it, was it, it just wasn't great. That and guinea pigs, I don't understand. They're kind of cute, but I'm, yeah, there's there's better, cuter things. They don't do anything. No, I think that's why you want them. Like a dog is a lot of work. A guinea pig, it doesn't do anything. It's like a big loaf. That's it. They're not entertaining. No, but I think you are also dating the benefits for a lot of people oh. like oh it's a big furry loaf they don't do anything they're just cute and sit there okay yeah i think that's what they want right i guess i just don't get it but hamsters i think everyone had a hamster everyone had a in. hamster yeah i had friends with hamsters do kids now have hamsters i think you can still get them but it's not like as much of a thing no. then it seemed like everyone in my grade three class i think half of the kids would have a hamster yeah i um have seen some of my friends who now have kids are buying hamsters and their kids just like aren't into it that's interesting because they're like oh it's nostalgic i had a hamster my kid doesn't want a hamster <laughs> it's not a rat it's not a rabbit but sure does stink was <laughs> Try a hamster. Yeah, that's a really good way to <laughs> advertise it <laughs> sure does stink <laughs> But then, <laughs> Sorry, this is our hamster podcast. <laughs> Weird pets of the 80s and 90s. We were saying this is going to be such a short episode, but yeah. then I like <laughs> I watched a documentary on Hollywood in the 80s and uh, the the AIDS epidemic, and then hamster talk came along, and we're going to be here for like two hours. Now. We're already like 30 minutes in. Oh my God. <laughs> All right, so let's get going. The budgie then explodes. Yes. Which Why? Is not what you want. So Freddie has bird exploding powers too. yes i wonder if like he can heat them up from the inside well he can also create electricity and lightning because in the next scene right uh, lightning comes through the window and sets the dishes on fire yes <laughs> so that's a thing he can do but he seems like the worst kind of ghost <laughs> his powers are very unclear in this one yes in the first one you kind of knew what his powers were yeah because they're all dream based and sure they're unclear because he can essentially do anything in the dream yeah but it is at least contained to the dream just world. in the dream and here he just haunts you like a ghost also controls your dreams also can possess you also can physically come out of you mm -hmm. and can make birds blow up and lightning strike yeah it's weird. And can send you to a gay bar. <laughs> Which brings us to the next part where it seems like it's clearly a dream sequence because mm -hmm. uh, Jesse wakes up, lightning strikes the dishes, he goes wandering shoeless in the rain in his pajamas yeah. and just stumbles upon this gay bar. When he's there, his uh, leather-vested phys ed teacher comes <laughs> out and... Puts his hand on him and he's like, I don't know what this is. Is he hitting on him? Is he going to beat him up? Yeah. We don't know. But he takes him to school and makes him run laps. Yeah. And makes him like shower. Yeah. And then says hit the showers after making him run laps. And we learn that this is all real. This yeah. really happens. This isn't a dream. So this guy sees his student at a bar and then takes him to the school to make him yeah, run Yeah, and is like, here's a good idea. Let me be alone in the shower with this minor. Well, I think the implication is meant to be rape. Yeah. No? I'd say so, because he's like getting a skipping rope out and like, is I don't know. He's just like, it's a weird scene. 
It plays very homophobic. Yes, it is does. what it is. It plays like, oh, you know how gay people are. Yeah. They're crazy. They're wearing leather. They're going to take you and do whatever. Yeah. So I think it's... Watch your children around them. I think it's meant to play on that fear of mm. anything, which was a very, very prevalent fear, especially at this time. Yes. Maybe that's what it is. But then the haunting elements that start happening are quite silly. Like mm-hmm. first, the strings on a tennis racket start heating up i guess yeah so tennis rackets are de-stringing themselves that's the spooky thing and like the tennis balls are like shooting out of the little what are they tubes yeah yeah cans cans um and like that's fun but it's not scary it's not scary it's kind of nonsensical in this scene And of anything to have a ghost hurl at me, I would prefer it to be something like tennis balls. Yeah. Because that'll bounce off. You might get a bruise. Then like a desk. (laughs) Yeah. Knives. I mean, you have knife hands and you think something like that would be closer. But yeah. Fireballs. Sure. (laughs) So then these skipping ropes wrap around the coach and carry him to the shower They then string him up and towels begin to whip him. And then Freddy actually physically comes out. Yeah, and claws him across the back, which kills him. Yeah, and this whole time, Jesse is naked in the shower watching this all. Mm -hmm. And we get some real close-up butt shots of the coach and his whipped butt. And then it's in a kind of reveal, it's shown that Jesse's wearing Freddy's glove. So Freddy wasn't there, I guess. But then, but like, maybe he was. He must have been there to put the glove on Jesse. But the glove, he did find the glove. Remember, there is a literal in the real world glove that right, exists. Right, so that's in that furnace fireplace thing. Although it was gone, but yeah, it can, it, uh, it comes respawns. Yeah. And that's what the kids say now. Oh, okay. Yeah, it's video game lingo. Oh. I played a video game this month, so I know what I'm talking You're about. You're a big pro. Yeah. <laughs> It contributes to a lot of that what's real, what's not. And when you were watching this, I was like, this is such a weird dream sequence. Why does the dream sequence include scenes where he's not in? Who is dreaming this? But then it turns out none of it was a dream because the police find Jesse naked in the rain and just bring him home. Next morning, they no find out. No questions asked. Yes. Like, hey, take Zero care of Zero questions asked. They're just like, here's your naked son. He was out in the rain. <laughs> Case closed. <laughs> And then the next morning, they find out that the teacher had been murdered. The teacher of this boy that they found naked walking around by the school, presumably. And nobody ever has any questions for him. Nope. They're not like, oh, that was weird. We should, like, ask that kid who goes to the school. Yeah. Oh, and of course, that morning, their toaster catches fire. Right. And I think some of the haunting stuff nonsensical but i kind of enjoy it i like haunted house things of just like weird things happening in a house uh-huh. uh when i was a kid making movies i would rely on a lot of that i love the atmosphere it builds and i like that in this one it has a lot of poltergeisty type things because there's the idea of the father saying like oh yeah sure i bought this and i got a good deal because of all the death but and everyone not knowing that yeah he knew it the whole time and did it anyway yeah and weird things keep happening i like that and that's fun Then they go to the old power plant where I guess Freddy worked and was actually killed. I think that's where, yeah, I think that's where they like set him on fire. Yeah. And I think he took the kids there. Oh, right. That's where he killed them. Yes. Yes. So I think he held them hostage at the power plant. So it's it's where Freddy's soul hangs out. Except when it's in the basement of that one house. Yes. (laughs) Which because I think he also has a presence there because that's where Nancy's mom hid the glove? Yes, I think so. Okay. It was like her trophy. Yeah, that kind of makes sense. Yeah, then that that makes sense. Um, But yeah, so I think the power plant is where he like is more. And now the girlfriend, Lisa, or not girlfriend, friend, Mm -hmm. Lisa begins kind of taking an interest in this and doing research herself. Mm -hmm. So she's the one that led him there. But nothing happens from that. They just set up that that's a place that we will then go to later. Yeah. Then Jesse goes to his sister's room at night in another one of his nighttime possession things. And he Mm -hmm. talks in Freddy's voice, but then he stops himself. Yeah. So he has the power to wake himself up, kind of, sometimes. And to, like, not let Freddy take over. Kind of sometimes. Kind of sometimes he can fight it. Yeah. 
And then the next day at school, we get some funny stuff. We get Grady again, and he's just ignoring all the women who talk to him. And yeah. I love, he has that line of like, hey, why can't you come to my party? I'm grounded. Why are you grounded? I threw my grandmother down a flight of stairs. What do you care? Hey. <laughs> I like Grady. I think he's a lot of fun. He is a lot of fun. He's also the worst, but yeah, he's also kind of my favorite. <laughs> he's just like one of those stereotypical like jock guys. Yeah. But, but he also has like a twist because a he's side. gay. Yeah. And we can start seeing Jesse falling in love with Grady a little bit. Yeah. Just like me. At first I hated Grady. I was like, why is this guy like this? And then I'm like, okay, I see your yeah. appeal. You're kind yeah. of fun. So then there's the big pool party, which Grady can't go to because he threw his grandmother down those <laughs> stairs. Grounded. And my favorite part is the dad gets so angry when people jump in the pool. Yeah. At the pool party. It's a pool party. It's you a pool. Own a You're going to jump in a pool. Yeah. Children will jump in pools. And there's that bit where all the kids are out there and the parents go up to bed. And as soon as they turn off the light, not waiting until they fall asleep, but literally the second they turn off the light, everyone goes, yeah. They crank the music. They crank the music. All the beer comes out. Everyone gets naked and starts making out. Yeah. Because the lights are off. So clearly they're instantly asleep. Because everybody waits until they're physically in bed and asleep to turn off the lights. <laughs> Do you know what this note means? I have it written down. Wow, he really goes for that sternum. Oh, um, so in the pool house, oh, yeah, yeah, Lisa yeah. and Jesse are like making out. Well, first Jesse wants to leave and Lisa's trying to entice him to stay yes. and then they start making out. And then he just like holds her boobs like handles. Yeah. Like like he's stabilizing himself. <laughs> yeah. And then he's just kissing her sternum. He's really going at oh, that sternum it's, though. It's intense, yeah. He's almost uh, kissing her like someone who has no interest in a female. Yes. That's how I would describe Interesting. that. Interesting. <laughs> and no, no idea what to do with boobs. And then he has like that demon tongue yeah. that comes out sometimes. That was gross. So is that real then? He really physically has a demon tongue? Or is that his like own self-conscious because he's kind of fighting off his his I think his true gay predilection i think it's freddie trying to like work his way out of him oh i kind of took it as like that is his true self and he's self-loathing in his homosexuality so it, it appears as a demon to him and he's like mm -hmm. oh no she's gonna find out what i really am inside which is a gay man right just live your truth jesse i just thought because Later in the movie, Freddy literally, like, rips his way out, out of him. Yeah. I thought it was Freddy continuously trying to, like, escape a little bit. Oh, that makes sense, too. Like, he's like, okay, I think I have enough, like, ghost energy to... But Freddy himself is a representative of this, what he considers demonic part of him. Mm -hmm. But it's just his homosexuality. Because this movie, rather than being fun for being like, look how fun and gay it is... It seems more homophobic, mm -hmm. and it's playing homosexuality as like an evil thing. It's like a shameful thing, yeah. yeah. Although sometimes it is kind of fun, too. <laughs> this movie doesn't know what it's no, doing. No, I just assumed that it was Freddy trying to, like, take over. Yeah, that's fair. So then he leaves young Meryl Streep and goes, of course, to his potential boyfriend's home. And he says things like, there's someone trying to get inside of me. Grady responds with, like, so you came to sleep with me? And he says, yeah. So those lines are in there. So it's not like I'm really stretching to no, say that there is something between the two of them. It's something is clearly happening yeah. here. <laughs> so, and then uh, knives start growing out of his fingers rather than. Yeah. So I guess he didn't have the actual glove. He physically transforms his hand into the glove. Yeah. Like it grows around his hand. Yeah, it comes out hand. of his hand. Yeah. So the knives coming out of his fingers makes no sense. No. But I do think it's an effective and like pretty cool visual. Yeah. The effect is cool. Yeah, the um idea of Freddy like pushing his way out is kind of a neat idea. Mm-hmm. And just the idea of him internalizing this Freddy demon so much that the knives are actually coming out of his fingers rather than him putting on a physical glove. Mm -hmm. That was fun. And then Freddy, like, locks the door, I guess, because he has door-locking powers, yeah, too. Yeah, so he, like, is able to stop anyone from entering a room unless they are part of whatever he's doing. Yeah. And then he gives himself a C-section and is effectively birthed out of Jesse's stomach. Yeah. 
Which is another way that the movie kind of feminizes Jesse. Because he gives birth to Freddy? Yeah. Then we have this whole sequence, and this is kind of, this is the climax of the movie, yes. but a very poorly paced climax of the movie, where Freddy is just running around the pool party and killing people. Yeah. So is that, to the other people, is that Freddy? Do they see Freddy? Or is this another case where it's actually Jesse wearing the glove, but in his mind, Freddy is doing these things and he's possessed by the spirit of Freddy but doesn't physically look like Freddy. Yeah, that's what's... Unclear? It's unclear. It does... No, it must... Sorry, go ahead. It does kind of feel like Freddy has won at this point because he's, like, jumped out and is, like, corporeal, I guess. Mm -hmm. So it's like Freddy's taken over. But I think it physically is Freddy as well because Mm -hmm. the reaction he gets would be a different reaction than if they were like hey, Jesse, why are you wearing that glove? Yeah. Because we do have the one time, like, with the killing of the gym teacher, that it looked like Freddy at first, but then we get the reveal that Jesse did the whole thing and he was wearing the glove. Mm -hmm. I don't think that's the case. But then what happens to Jesse's first body? Like, Freddy comes out of his body, leaving that shell. Like, there's a full Jesse body. Yeah. There's two Jesse bodies by the end of this movie. Yeah, you're right. I didn't really think about that. Where did Jesse go? Neither did the writer. Yeah, exactly. It's like peeled. He's like basically peeled in half. Yeah. By giving birth to Freddy. So that's clearly not like coming back together to be a full human again. And later in the movie, Jesse comes out of Freddy. Yeah. So there's three bodies worth of like physical matter. Yeah. I don't know how that works. I don't either. And we don't know how any of it works because also in that scene where Freddy's going around, uh, hot dogs start on fire, beers open, fish tanks break, TVs start on fire, and then there's also, of course, the magic door locking powers. The pool started on fire at one point. I think it boils and stuff too, yeah. How did you like that whole sequence? That's kind of the climax of this movie. Yeah, it was fun. It was a fun way to do it. Um... I know we talked last episode about um, the, like, old trope of, like, if you have sex, you die. Mm -hmm. This is, like, kids, like, maybe not actually having sex, but, like, thinking about it or, like, in the mood to do it. They're being bad. And so then bad things start to happen. Like, the pool is set on fire and things explode and they're, like, a bunch of them are killed. So it's, like, they're using that and I thought that was kind of fun. Yeah, uh, that's fun. And the idea of just a bunch of people being massacred at this pool party is kind of fun. Mm -hmm. But it's paced strangely because there's a lot of instances where Freddy will like stop and like talk and do things. He's not just going around and killing everyone. Right. It takes a long time and actually relatively few people die in it. Mm -hmm. It just keeps going on and on. And we have cutaways to different things happening, but Freddy's still just running around and doing his thing. One thing I didn't like from this scene was that the pool boils and is literally on fire. And then people still manage to get out of the pool alive. Like, that's not how that works. It's uh, magic boiling water. It's magic boiling water. Okay. Freddy goes and attacks Lisa and just bites her ankle. Yeah. And his glove seems to come and go. So I think the knives are coming out of his fingers now and he doesn't have a physical glove. Oh, so he's like grown the glove. (laughs) I also like that one of the first things Freddy does when he gets there is he starts just um, like smashing the food. Just like wrecking the party. And then he starts killing people. He just like is inconvenient. (laughs) He's just like throwing stuff around. And there's one guy that I think gets stepped on by a teenager running away, and that like crushes the skull and kills him. Yeah. He just gets stepped on too hard. Did this happen? It's in my notes, but I don't remember it. Does Freddy say, Help yourself, fucker, and then throw someone on a grill? I don't remember that. We didn't watch the final scene, though. So, like, again, I mean, like, the second time. So I'm not 100% sure on that line. I think that happens. But there's also a line that I know was in there when there's a big fire behind Freddy and he says, you're all my children now. I thought that was kind of fun. That is fun. I liked it. This 
scene was kind of like a teenage boy wrote it. <laughs> I think most of this movie is like that. Yeah, yeah. Like this one was like, and then he throws him onto a barbecue. And yes. then the pool's boiling. And then fire erupts from places that you wouldn't expect fire to be. All right. So then they're going to leave. Can they just go through the fence? No. It's Why not? locked. And electric somehow. Yes. And and then they're on fire, but they're okay. It's fine. <laughs> like, it just seems like a really long run-on sentence from someone who just saw, like, three horror movies in a row. And same with all of the dream sequences. It's just, and then he's going to kill his sister, and then he doesn't. And then he's going to do this, and then he doesn't. It's just, a, it, there's a lot of and-thens yeah. in this. And then he's wearing the glove, and then it's in the drawer, and then it's back on, and now it's growing out of his hand. And it's just, yeah... And then they go to the power plant and there's dogs, but they have doll faces. Yeah. Why? Why? So, and then they go to the power plant and there are dogs that have doll faces. Yes, and that was weird. So, Freddy runs away, I guess? Yeah. And then Lisa goes to look for him, knowing that it is Jesse in yes. there. So, she goes to the power plant because that's where Freddy would go because that's where he did his killing. And it's now like some big crazy maze. There's those doll-faced dogs, which were <laughs> terrible. She looks and sees her bite wound and there's ants coming out of it. Well, but just kidding, there's not. It's not actually ants. And then there's like a mutant mouse that's about to attack Lisa. But yeah. then she's saved. Oh, and then there's a, <laughs> a mutant cat that comes and kills the mouse. Yes. Does the mutant cat care about her? No, not really. So that's cool. <laughs> and it just leaves. And then she's... Hanging off an edge, about to die. Oh, just kidding. She's fine. There's yeah. not actually a ledge there. Okay, it was just dumb. Like, nothing had a reason or a consequence yes. in this scene. Was... They get to pick and choose what is consequential to the rest of the movie. And it's not clear to us. So the writer could say, like, oh, no, this is set up way back there. And you're like, oh, yeah, I didn't catch it because it was in the mi middle of 12 other dream sequences. Uh -huh. All of those weren't real, but this one was real. Oh, cool. Yeah, I could definitely follow that. Yeah, exactly. And, like, I found by the end of the movie, I stopped trying to keep track of what was happening. No, you can't. There's... Because it was just like, okay, well, that was never important. Yes. So why did I remember that piece? Yeah. And then I'm like, well, I can't remember every single second of this movie. And that's, just in case it becomes important. And that's one of the things I dislike about this and some yeah. of the subsequent sequels. Because if you rewatch the first one, you notice things and you're like, oh, that really helps me understand this. Yeah. Well, if you watch this one a second time, you only are more convinced that it's completely nonsensical. Mm -hmm. And if you try to figure it out, just don't. Yeah, it's just not don't. Gonna, you're not going to get anything Don't try. I was also unsure that why in the audio mix, when Freddy's talking or on screen, they use whale sounds. Yeah, there was some weird sound effects that happen. And there's lots of movies that famously use mixes with animal noises to try to put you on edge. But I feel like whale sounds are famous for being soothing. Mm -hmm. People don't think of like, ah, whales. No, like I've definitely been to a massage where it's like half chimes and like nice pan flute and then some whale noises. Because it's just I relaxing. It's kind of weird. I don't find them relaxing. Oh, no, maybe I do. I do love whale watching whale documentaries. Mm -hmm. I'm it's very interested in whales for any of you out there who can. Oh, interesting. <laughs> yeah, I'm really into whales. They're some um, of my favorite animals. It's definitely like a white noise ish sound. But not a sound I would. Think of when I think of Freddy Krueger, who was burned alive and have has knives for hands. Right. Whales don't really go with it. Oh, whales don't remind you of Freddy Krueger? That's weird. No. The guy who's all about fire? Yeah, I don't think of serene belugas or something. <laughs> so then she finds Freddy slash Jesse, and he's like, no, I'm Freddy now. And then she makes out with Freddy, and it's like full body Freddy at this point. Yes. And I guess her love sets him on fire? Yeah. Her kissing is so hot, he literally bursts into flames. And we'll get into all of this stuff, but I think if you're doing the more homophobic reading of this, that this was meant to be a homophobic movie, not a homoerotic movie, it's kind of saying that the love of a woman is what's going to save yes, this Yes, it literally damned, saves Jesse. Yeah, which is a bunch of bullshit, but... <laughs> 
I feel like anytime I'm talking about a movie and breaking down, and a movie that I think is homophobic, we have to make a a disclaimer that that's the movie. Yes. We don't think We don't things. think that. We think it's shitty that the movie does yes. all these things. But that's kind of what it's doing. The effect of his face melting. I thought that was pretty cool. Yeah, that was pretty cool. And that he kind of melts and turns into ash. Mm. And then Jesse comes out. So there's at least two Jesse bodies and I guess one fresh Freddy body. Yeah, there. how do you explain that? Also, how is Jesse not going to get arrested for the coach's death? And for Grady's death. Yeah, oh yay, especially for Grady's or, death. Or at this point, they think that Jesse and Grady died together. Oh, yeah, because his body, his body was there. is there. That's how he doesn't get arrested. Yeah. He would just have to like have a new um, identity, I guess. Yeah. Oh, but actually, none of that matters because after <laughs> all of this, uh, he just goes to school the next day. But this is all a dream? All of it, yeah. Because then we go back to that bit where they are on the bus and it's going to the desert. But we have mm -hmm. a triple fake out because he's like, oh, no, this bus, it's damned. We're going to die. It's Freddy. And everyone's like, it's fine. It's and then fine. it turns out it is fine because they yeah. stop and they pick someone up. And he's like, oh, OK, we're fine. My mistake. And then it's like, oh, fake out again. Turns out it actually is It Freddy. is actually is. And yeah. we're just driving to the desert. Yeah. That ending, much like the first one, makes no sense. And it just leaves us to believe so... Did Jesse just die earlier? Is everybody dead? Is Freddy real and alive in the world? And this is actually the world? So they did, these people did survive. Yeah. And now Freddy is going to kill them now. Or was it all a dream? And then was this whole movie a dream? Yeah. Was Freddy ever there in the first place? Was it just Jesse doing this? Is this all in Jesse's mind? We don't know. No, who knows? It kind of seems like... The worst answer of all of them is that Freddy, yes, was real and out in that world. And now he's just back and is also still just a physical being out in the world and is just actually literally kidnapping this school bus full of children. Mm -hmm. Which is the, maybe the worst of those options, but it's they're all dumb. <laughs> it's true. They're all dumb. I like that that's the explanation. <laughs> Whatever the explanation is, it's dumb. It's dumb. The ending is dumb. It really is. Yeah. And I know I disliked a lot of the rest of the movie, but the ending uh, is probably maybe the worst. Yeah, I agree. Well, let's get into a little bit of the making of this. Mm -hmm. So Wes Craven, who wrote and direct the directed the first one, had nothing to do with this one at all. Uh, very early on, I think that he wasn't even approached, really. Oh, really? Because the producer, whose name I forget and don't really care to mention because he <laughs> seems like a real dick. A lot of the people who made this movie are dicks. That's what I'm going to oh, say. Oh, it's just a bunch of dicks. Bunch of dicks made this movie. Good to know. <laughs> oh, uh, Robert Shea. Yes. Robert Shea is the name of the producer. and He's a real dick. Oh, really? He was the guy who was a um, like copyright attorney and now thinks that he can be a movie maker because he lucked out with hiring Wes Craven once. Getting like one copyright case? Yeah. It doesn't work the other way. People who are good at business keep thinking they understand art. Mm -hmm. I wouldn't go get my taxes done from a sculptor. No. Why would I trust this asshole to tell me what a good story is? Yeah. It doesn't make a lot of sense. And movie executives in general, they, I guess it is the film business. And I think this is a thing that I butt up against a lot, <laughs> but it is a business and it is run like a business, not like art, which is unfortunate, but yeah. that is uh, the case. So he didn't want to have anything to do with Wes Craven and being the dick that he is. He's like, it's not your writing and directing in mind that made this great. It's me, clearly. Yeah, clearly. So he wants some more input. He hires uh, Jack Shoulder, who is a dick, too. He's the director. And I, oh, I hate that guy so much. Jack Shoulder. Is that his name? Yeah. No, I'm just like, what a dumb name. <laughs> well, he's a dumb man. <laughs> so you saw about 45 seconds of him talking, and you're like, oh, listen to this asshole. Yeah. I had a very bad reaction to him, like immediately. Yes, and rightfully so. Yeah. He's a very objectionable man, as is Shay, as is the writer, whose name was uh, Chaskin, David Chaskin. Right. All of them are very objectionable 
it's hard to watch an interview with them where you don't immediately hate them. Yeah. So those are the three guys who are kind of working on this. I didn't even know who he was. You were just like, look at this I was asshole. just like, I hate him. <laughs> well, he starts off his interview saying like, well, Wes Craven didn't really get horror. And I was like, oh my God. He's Wrong. Wes Craven. Wrong. And you're Jack Shoulder. <laughs> yeah. And he's looking at it now after the entire franchise. He's saying this 20, 30 years later. He says that it was never about the villain for these movies. Nobody knows who the villain of horror movies are. And I would argue that more people know the names Freddy Krueger and Jason than they actually know Friday the 13th and A Nightmare on Elm Street. Yeah. When I was a kid, people would call the movies like, oh, did you see Jason 4? Did you see Freddy Krueger 3? Yeah. Because they were bigger than the 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 franchises sometimes. So he clearly just doesn't know. Like, I haven't seen either of those franchises. Yeah. I guess I've seen some of Freddy. Because when I said... Do you know who Freddy Krueger is? You said like, oh yeah, the guy in the like the glove and the burnt face. Yeah, you knew that. But I said, who's the villain of A Nightmare on Elm Street? And you're like, I don't know, Jason. Yeah, I'm like, I knew bigger. who Freddy and Jason were. I knew one of them wears yeah. like a hockey mask, and the other one has like a gross face. Yeah, and I was like, no, like that's all I know about them. But it's only because I live in the world. Yes. <laughs> so he's uh, just wrong right yeah. off the beginning of his. Thought process. Yes. You're wrong, jerk. In many ways, he's wrong. It gets he, They all get more and more wrong as things go on. So they also say, like, we don't need Robert Englund to be Freddy. Just get, like, a guy in a mask. It doesn't matter. No, you need him. At least that they realize. They shot one day of just some, like, stuntman being Freddy. And they're like, oh, okay, I get it now. <laughs> Never mind. And that was the first time they realized that, oh, maybe artists do add something. <laughs> because Robert England takes this stuff very seriously. And he puts a lot of thought into it. Yeah. He's got a lot of, um, like, very specific movements that make Freddy, Freddy. Right. But then we get into the writer, David Chaskin. And I want to talk a bit about the life of Mark Patton, who plays Jesse. Okay, yeah. So I touched on a few things about why this movie sounds... Like, super gay. Yeah. And not in a bad way. Although in this movie, it is a bad way, because they're usually saying it's a bad thing. Yeah. They make it out to be a very bad thing. I think. it. The movie seems unclear, but it's not good. Right. Probably. Probably not. So when Patton gets this movie, he's a young, up-and-coming guy. He's also gay. Okay. So he makes this movie, and he sees it clearly... For what it is. Yeah. That this is a movie that's really dealing with a lot of those things. And he says, thinks to himself that this is a closeted gay person being terrorized by the the fear that society is putting right. into him. And the stigma and everything that's coming after yes. you. Which is a, a much better movie yes. than, uh, than this is. And perhaps that's why his performance is kind of like too good for the movie. I would agree with you. There's a lot of layers to his performance. And I think as bad as this movie is, and I do think this is a bad movie. Uh-huh. I think his performance actually has a lot of subtlety to it and a lot of nuance that makes it stand out for the rest of this movie. Yeah, absolutely. So he comes to it with that backstory. And there's interviews with people now. And Jack Shoulder said like, oh, I never thought of it was gay. That's weird. I don't know how people... Oh, yeah, I guess I could see it now. This is like the gayest gay person movie ever. It's it's, it's the gayest horror... <laughs> oh, not the gayest. But it, it's up at yeah. its time. It definitely 100%. Was. Yeah. It's like very blatantly obvious that that's what they were yeah. doing. So with Jack Shoulder, I've kind of started watching interviews with him because I wanted to figure out this guy because I really dislike him. <laughs> I think he might not be lying in that. Like he's just like oblivious? I think he's so oblivious to that and to so many things. If he thinks that Freddy's not important to the franchise, uh-huh. I could see him not thinking that this movie is gay. Not that he's trying to downplay it and be like, hey, I'm not gay. Don't worry about it. He's not being like one of those guys. He yeah. would be one of those guys. Yes. I think he's so oblivious to 
gay people existing that he never even thought of it. Yikes. <laughs> yeah. Because if you watch stuff with him, he's just like, well, why would someone do that? And he just doesn't understand. He's just an idiot. Yeah. He's also one of those guys who's a director, which I would describe as an art, and seems to take no joy or find any artistic merit in anything. He's hmm. like, no, this is just a thing we do. It's a product we make. Yeah. He sounds like he's making a dishwasher. He's yeah. like, no, it got the job done. It didn't cost that much. Yeah. He's one of those guys. And it's unfortunate that those types of people are are making movies. Yeah. It's interesting to think that he might just be oblivious to all yeah. of the not-so-subtle undertones of this movie. So also people who auditioned for um, Patton's role of Jesse were Brad Pitt, John Stamos, Christian Slater. Whoa. So some big names. Yeah. But Patton got got it instead. Why? They said he had like a vulnerability and they liked his face. They think he's a good looking guy. Agree. Yeah, he's a fairly good-looking kid, but he was like a normal, again, like a normal teenager, like well, Nancy was in the first movie. So often, your final girls, mm-hmm. the usually female survivor at the end of the movie, is often a girl next door type. Yes, I would say he's a boy next door type. I agree. Yeah. So he's often called the first male scream queen or oh. the first final boy. And I know a lot of the final girl stuff I find as being reductive because if you read any essay about it, they're going to say like, oh, yeah, that's a thing that horror movies have internalized. And at some point, the female lead, the final girl has to take up the phallus and become more masculine and destroy that male oppressor. Mm-hmm. And eh, often, sure. And I think these Nightmare on Elm Street movies get to that kind of point of following conventions a lot more. But at this point, I don't think that's the case because I don't think you had to masculinize Nancy for her to succeed in the first one. Mm -hmm. She was very true to herself and remained the same character the whole way through. And I think uh, saying that about Patton in this one is a little basic as well because... Like, I like the talk about him being the first male scream queen. That's fun. But it's oversimplified because Freddy's not necessarily out there to kill him even. He's using him as a tool. It's more that he's mm-hmm. haunted by Freddy than being pursued by Freddy. Right. I think it's an easier reading is that Freddy is the representation of his homosexuality and, of course, the fear that surrounds that in 1985. Mm-hmm. So when this comes out, it's, I think, just a month after Rock Hudson dies of AIDS, and it is terrifying to people. Everyone is scared of HIV and AIDS. It's being called the gay cancer. Like, still in newspapers are using that. It's not, like, a slang term. That's what people are saying. Wow. They fear gay people, essentially. On TV and movie sets, you can't be gay. People were getting blood tested. If you start on a new set, you have to get tested to see if you have AIDS because you can't kiss someone. Because they are so scared of AIDS, they think like, oh, if you're near the person, you're just going to get it. It's like airborne. Yeah. And also, legitimately, they didn't have the scientific backing. It it wasn't new, but people didn't care enough to study it because it was killing gay people mostly. Mm -hmm. And we don't study diseases or viruses until until they start killing rich people true rich white people and then we care yes but i'm gonna start getting lost in other things and my own uh anger about the past so let's not do that so he does this movie and he's like i'm I'm trying to achieve my dream of being a movie star. At the same time, he is gay and living with his partner, whose name I now forget, but was also in films and was was a young and -and up-and-coming guy. Right. His partner gets AIDS. Oh. They have an on-again, off-again relationship, which is complicated and I don't really know about, so I'm not going to talk about that. Yes. But they were in love Mm -hmm. and he gets AIDS. And... Around the same time, or I guess this is a little bit earlier now, he does the movie and his agent's biggest fear is like, well, now you're going to be the gay actor. You're going to get cast as only gay people Mm -hmm. because your role in this film is so gay. Mm -hmm. And they, the agent says like, you need to start wearing these kind of things. You need to make sure nobody knows you're gay. Because this will ruin your career. You can't let that get out because that's the 80s. Mm-hmm. Like we've come so far. We've come, we've come a ways. We've come a ways. 
we got work to do. But <laughs> so then the movie comes out. It's financially quite successful. Mm-hmm. But people start bringing this up. And the writer says, like, I never intended anything in this to be gay. If you see anything gay, it's because Patton is so gay that it comes out in the movie. His his actual lines were like, it's due to the casting that this appears homosexual, which is saying that he's gay. Yeah. So he's effectively outing this guy yeah. in 1985 in the midst of this AIDS hysteria. His life doesn't go well from there, Patton. He's um can't get work. Mm-hmm. His partner does die of AIDS. Yes. Patton gets AIDS as well. Ah, uh, yeah. And he's so disillusioned, distraught with all of Hollywood, he leaves. And mm-hmm. we don't really hear about him for 20, maybe 30 years. Mm-hmm. He, just, he leaves in the middle of what could have been, or at the beginning of what could have been, a, a, a really successful career. And Chaskin, the writer, says different things over the years, and each one just makes me want to hit this dude more. So he starts off with saying that it's not gay, I'm not gay, we're not gay. That guy was probably pretty gay, so that's his fault. Right. That's where he starts from. Later on, he starts saying that, oh, I wrote it as a homophobic movie. This movie is a good movie to show at, like, conversion camps to get people, to show people the real fear and the terror of what homosexual life is. Boo. Which, like, you're like, oh, I don't know which thing you said is worse. Yeah. But they're, they're both real so shitty. There's so many things to look at there. But that reading, you can see more in the movie. Mm-hmm. It doesn't make it good. No. <laughs> He's still a piece of shit. And then this movie, in the late 90s, or maybe even the, the throughout the 90s, it starts getting this cult following. It starts being shown at fun midnight screenings and being called like the gayest horror movie and being and people start trying to like reclaim this movie. Right. And look how fun it is. The dance sequence in the bedroom is being played at clubs (laughs) and like people are having fun with this movie and kind of rediscovering this fun, weird gay movie from Mm -hmm. 1985. Now in like, I don't know if it's probably around the year 2000 or after that. After the 2000s, Chaskin says, like, oh, yeah, I put that subtext in there. I meant that. I'm a real clever guy. And you're like, fuck you. First of all, there's nothing sub about this text. No, there's no subtext. And you can't have it every way. It's just text. (laughs) Yeah. So then uh, I think it's 20 years later. So around 2005, they're making a documentary. And they finally find Mark Patton. And he moved to Mexico just Mm -hmm. to get away from everything and has just been living there, living a real simple life and just hasn't had anything to do with it, never talks about it because he had such a miserable time from all the the hate that he got after this movie. There's a documentary about him called Scream Queen Mm. and it's made, uh, it's from 2018, so it's relatively recent. And he's talking about all of those bullies growing up, all of the people that threw slurs at him never made him lose his confidence. But the things that Chaskin did, that's what broke him and made him just leave. In this documentary, you get to see the two of them finally meet. Patton says, like, all I ever wanted was this apology, so I'm good, after the meeting. But if you watch it, Chaskin never apologizes. He says, like, oh, if certain people took things away, I guess I see how that could be bad. And Patton's just like looking for something. Just yeah. like and he's like, all I ever wanted was this apology. He never apologized. No. So that guy's a piece of shit. Ugh. So shoulder, Shay, Chaskin, I hate all of them for crimes against art and film and humanity and gay people. They're they're bad guys. Yes. I dislike all of them. Um, I was just I had Mark Patton's Wikipedia page up when you were talking about him and he married a man named Hector and they own and operate an art store in Puerto Vallarta. Yeah. You can that see That sounds it. like a nice life. Yeah. You can see it in the, uh, 
in the documentary, you go to the shop and everything and you get to see his art and all sorts Aww. of things he's doing. So great for him. And now he's also doing a lot of work on that kind of convention circuit mm. because he's gotten kind of famous now right? because he is and he's he's owning it. He's like, yes, I am the Scream Queen. I'm the first male Scream Queen. Right. And he's going with it. So good for him. I'm glad he can get that. But like, it's a lot of shitty stuff about yeah. this movie. No, that, that is shitty. But I guess one good thing is we can kind of have fun with it now and uh, try not to think about the terrible people who made it. But mm. maybe this really fun performance, uh, the place this has within a franchise that is going to get bigger and bigger, this weird little oddball movie from yeah. the mid 80s that was meant to, I think, be homophobic, turns out to be kind of fun and homoerotic. And we can just appreciate it for that. Yeah, I like that. So our second sponsor of the episode is the Well Endowed Podcast by the Edmonton Community Foundation. It's hosted and produced by Aaron, Paul, and Lisa Pruden, and it explores the impact of passionate people who are working to make Edmonton a strong, vibrant city to live in. The Edmonton Community Foundation helps people create endowment funds, and the podcast tells the stories of how those endowments intersect with the community. You can subscribe at thewellendowedpodcast.com. All right. Well, that brings us to the end of this episode. But don't worry. If you want more Nightmare on Elm Street, we got it for you. <laughs> so next week, we Not will next be... next week. Thursday. Oh, like in a couple of days? Yes. Wow. <laughs> two, two episodes this week. Two episodes so this week. So next episode, join us for A Nightmare on Elm Street 3. Any guesses what the subtitle is on this one? Freddy all over again. Oh, that'd be good. <laughs> but this one is Dream Warriors. Oh, that's a fun title. And again, everything besides part one, I haven't seen in a long time. But I'm going to say this is a top three Nightmare on Elm Street. Oh. That's my recollection. Oh, I'm excited. I'm excited because you did say that it like kind of ebbs and flows on how good it the does. movies are. So I'm excited to go into an ebb or flow. Which one's? The good one. Well, I think you want it to flow. Okay. Because it's like going forward. Oh, okay. Not ebbing back. Right. I don't know. I don't the good know. one. The good one. Yeah. <laughs> but then again, we'll see. I haven't yeah. seen it in many years. Very true. The last time I saw it was definitely on VHS. So Ooh, that's... Okay. Yeah. You own them on DVD now though, right? I think I have the VHSs and the Blu-rays. Okay. Well, we will see you next week when we discuss... Dream Warriors. Nightmare on Elm Street 3. Ooh. Oh, so spooky. Bye. Bye.